the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Opinions expressed in the following program may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Keep on trying till Life in Colorado. Hello and welcome to Life in Colorado. This week, we're going to take a, a more of a serious look at suicide prevention. Specifically, we've seen in the media more of an uptick. And in Colorado, actually, we're listed as ninth nationwide. So this is an issue that we need to attack, need to address. And actually, there are some folks on the ground taking care of these issues reducing risk and proposing some policy changes that could have a dramatic effect. Today, we are talking with Andrew Romanoff. He is the president and CEO of Mental Health Colorado. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us today. Thank you, Maria. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Now, let's just get right into it. And I know this sounds incredibly pedestrian, but could you give us the definition of suicide, please? Sure. Unfortunately, Colorado has seen too many suicides. Suicide is what happens when a person takes his or her own life voluntarily, intentionally. Okay. And and I know that we have a lot of perceptions and misconceptions of, of who's at risk when it comes to mental health and also suicide. Who is at risk? Well, the truth is there isn't a type. Some of the risk factors include, obviously, the presence of mental health conditions like depression or substance use disorders. We know that people who have prolonged periods of stress are also at greater risk. So people who have attempted suicide in the past are at greater risk of dying by suicide. Um, And there's some evidence that a family history or a history of childhood abuse or trauma also contribute to increased risk of suicide. So basically everyone. Unfortunately, Coloradans, uh, as you mentioned, have one of the highest rates of suicide in the nation. We lost 1,100 people to suicide in our state in just a year. Now, you mentioned some of the risk factors. Are there, and I know this kind of varies from person to person, each individual is different, but are there any clear warning signs that that maybe a friend or a family member would notice? Often there are warning signs. And if you go to our website at mentalhealthcolorado.org, click on the Need Help tab. That will share with you a whole list of resources, including indications that someone you know or love may be at risk. If a person talks about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live or being a burden to others, those are warning signs. Uh, If a person seems to have withdrawn from activities or isolated themselves from family or friends, um, 
those could be warning signs as well. The good news is there's help available. We also put on our website at mentalhealthcolorado.org slash screenings a series of self-assessments, questionnaires for people to fill out if they're worried about depression or anxiety disorders. We put up a screening tool for parents to take if they're worried about their kids and one for kids to take if they're worried about themselves. These aren't formal diagnostic instruments. Mm -hmm. They're just simple quizzes you can take confidentially, quickly, and for free. And at the end, after you fill out a series of questions, um, the computer will tell you where to turn for help because getting screened or even diagnosed doesn't do much good if you can't get treatment. So a solution-based website. That, that's great. Um, I did a bit of research, and I'm hoping so much that this figure that I found is wrong. As far as suicide rates, is there an uptick in ages 10 to 14? Please tell me that's wrong. I wish it were, but the truth is suicide has become the leading cause of death uh, in Colorado among adolescents. Uh, We've seen nationally an increase of overall suicide rates of about 25% in the last 20 years. In Colorado, suicide has increased by 34% during the same period. This is a crisis, but it's one we can solve. And and something that, that I've noticed personally it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter how much fame you have. Mental health concerns, depression, and suicide seem to touch all of us. That's an extremely important point, Maria, and I'm glad you made it, uh, because the truth is we're not talking about some exotic disease that's confined to a tiny fraction of the population. We expect one out of every four or five Coloradans to experience a mental health or substance use disorder. Uh, This is a set of conditions that touch every single family in Colorado, including mine. Uh, I'll tell you uh, a very brief and painful story of my own family's experience. I had uh, a young woman I thought of as my kid's sister. She was my first cousin, but closer to me than anyone in the world. Um, She lived in Colorado until she took a job for a high-tech firm out of San Francisco. Uh, It's a job that paid well, so the cost of health care wasn't a barrier. It's a job that carried insurance, so coverage wasn't an issue. But what we didn't know, because my cousin Melissa didn't tell us, is that she was suffering from a very deep depression. At least that's what I think it was. I can't ask her that question anymore uh, because... More than three years ago now, on New Year's Day, 2015, while Melissa and her mom and dad and I were celebrating the New Year, she walked into the backyard and killed herself. Uh, We had no warning, no history of really documented mental illness, no prior attempts. Uh, We're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how we missed the signs of her mental illness, and we'll never know. She hid them really well. She hid them from me, uh, from my mom, who was a social worker, uh, from her dad, my uncle, who is a physician. Uh, She hid them from my sister, who has a master's in counseling, and from her brother, my cousin, who has a uh, doctorate in psychology. Melissa was surrounded, in other words, by a family of 
mental health professionals, and she didn't want any of us to know that she was experiencing a mental health disorder. The only clue we've got comes from a note that she left us. We found that after we found her. She wrote to us, I'm sorry for the pain this will cause you. She said, I love you all very much, and there's nothing you could have done. I'm going to be in a better place. And then she wrote, please tell people it was a car accident. Because I think even in death, she wanted to preserve her reputation. She didn't want to be known as someone who was mentally ill or depressed or suicidal. In fact, the last thing she would have wanted, I suspect, is what I'm doing with you in this Mm -hmm. conversation right now, uh, turning her into a story of mental illness. But I'm sharing her story against her final wishes, not because it's so unique, but because it's so common. There's There's a suicide in America every 12 minutes. That's 44,000 Americans every year. Uh, and I thought about this a lot. I, I wondered if we were uh, being attacked by another country, if another country started killing Americans every 12 minutes and wiped out 44,000 of us in the course of a year, we would declare war. Uh, and in some ways, I think we are at war here, too. It's just a war we haven't declared. But it is a war we can win. Okay. I'm so sorry for your loss, sir. Thank you. In that vein, what about after? Are there resources for individual family members or or friends who have to sort of come to terms with a suicide loss? Are are there any resources like that available? Yes, uh, and that's really important uh, because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes the, uh, the grief that you experience can be overwhelming um, we put, again, on our website, if you go to the Need Help tab at mentalhealthcolorado.org, a series of links to places people can turn. And my own family and I participated in a program called Heartbeat, which um, is one group, for example, that uh, links people who have lost a loved one to suicide with each other in a support session. I'll tell you, when you die by suicide, you're not ending your pain. You're transferring it. So... My family and I are going to be tortured for the rest of our lives by not only Melissa's loss, but by our failure to prevent it. I joined this organization. I should tell you, I joined Mental Health Colorado about three months after Melissa died, not because I thought I could somehow bring her back to life, although I would do absolutely anything in the world if I could, but rather because I wanted to spare other families the the anguish, the kind of anguish that we've suffered. Okay. So we've laid out the facts, we've laid out the trends, and we have definitely touched on the emotional impact. What do we do now? What policies can we change? What access can we can we increase? What can we do to reduce the risks? Well, that's the right question, and it's an important question. It's on life or death question. Uh, there are some things we can do as individuals to look out for each other. Obviously, it's an important conversation for families to have. If you have a loved one who you believe to be at risk of suicide, uh, you can talk to them and listen to them. Um, ask someone if they've thought of harming themselves. Uh, asking questions when someone has expressed these sorts of uh, signs it doesn't put the idea of suicide into their head. You can get screened. Again, we put up a tool for that purpose at our website at mentalhealthcolorado.org slash screenings. Um, I'll just I'll share with you one story to that effect, again, from my own family. I have a, um, a twin sister. She is 
seven minutes older than I am, which she will tell you were the best seven minutes of her life <laughs> <laughs> before I came along and ruined it all. Uh, but like my cousin, uh, my sister also suffered from depression. It was very deep. Uh, my sister actually cut herself off from our mother and father and me for four years. None of us talked to her. It was a terrible period for all of us. And But eventually, unlike my cousin, uh, my sister sought treatment. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't automatic. It was, as is often the case, a process of trial and error. For my sister, treatment has meant a combination of counseling and medication. But I'm here to tell you it seems to be working because having not heard from my sister for four years, I now uh, talk to her several times a day. I tell people the treatment was too effective. Um, she she has a job. She has a relationship. Um, she is, you know, experiencing depression, but in a, in a way that she can manage. It's a chronic condition, so she'll likely need some kind of treatment uh, for the rest of her life. But she is a living proof that mental illness is treatable. And I think that's the lesson here. Uh, mental illness is not a, a figment of your imagination, mm. and it's not a character flaw. It's a medical condition, and it doesn't have to be a death sentence. It's treatable. Okay. Now, when I was uh, reviewing your website, uh, I noticed some policy priorities Right. And number two was the one that, that really caught me. Enforce and strengthen laws requiring insurance companies to provide benefits for mental health and substance use disorders that are equal to benefits for physical health disorders. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed to that because it's a real problem uh, when insurance companies fail to comply with the law. So here's the deal. Uh, about 20 years ago, both Colorado and Washington passed federal government, in other words, passed laws that tell insurance companies they have to provide equal coverage for mental health as for physical care. Um, it's a law called parity. And I'll give you an example. Take my dad, <laughs> please. I love my dad. Uh, he's, got, <laughs> he's got two problems, not just me. He's got uh, depression, which runs in our family, as you can tell, and he's got diabetes. Diabetes gets covered. He gets insulin. Uh, he'll get that treatment for the rest of his life uh, because it's a chronic condition. But as I mentioned, so is depression. If an insurance company says to my dad, you know what, um, as far as your depression goes, we're going to give you six sessions of counseling and then you're on your own. That insurance company would be breaking this law because they would be imposing more restrictions on my dad's mental health care than on his physical care. Um, so if any of your listeners have tried and failed to get the mental health care they're due, we want to know about it. Go to mentalhealthcolorado.org slash survey, fill out the questionnaire uh, so that we can make sure that we're actually enforcing these laws. I know it's a long answer to your short question, Maria, but it's really important because the truth is um, people are paying a lot of money for insurance, and they ought to get what they're entitled to when it comes to mental health care or care for a substance use disorder, a drug or alcohol addiction. Do you think... Just, just from your your personal experience, and also you know from your experience of being in the the state house, that the reason that insurance providers or, or even the the average person walking down the street doesn't view mental health as highly as physical health, say diabetes or, or breaking an arm, they don't think it's real, or, or they feel the person can just snap out of it. Is that what we're dealing with? So, uh, yes, is the one answer to that question. I mean, I, I've heard folks say, you know, if you're feeling down, you should just snap out of it. And I think the fact is all of us feel depressed at some point in our lives. 
The difference is if you're experiencing clinical depression, uh, that's a case in which the depression persists and interferes with your ability to carry out the ordinary activities of everyday life. And part of the problem, I think, is we use the same terminology to describe the blues that we might all go through as actual medically diagnosable clinical conditions like depression. Um, I think part of the problem is we don't understand mental illness. We don't understand the human brain as well as we understand other parts of the body. It's much more complex. In fact, even the way that we use the term mental illness suggests a distinction from physical illness, Mm -hmm. even though science has shown there's some kind of biological basis to most forms of mental illness. We're making progress, but not enough, not yet. We are speaking with Andrew Romanoff. He is with Mental Health Colorado. Richard, how are we looking on time? We're looking good. We have about 10 minutes. Okay, let's go ahead and sneak a quick break in. Is that okay? Yes. All righty. We will be right back and we'll continue our conversation on suicide prevention with Andrew Romanoff. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among young adults. Friends can play a crucial role in suicide prevention since 76% of young adults turn to a friend in a time of crisis. This generation is ready to crack open the cultural conversation about mental health, but they're missing the language to do it. Seize the Awkward aims to encourage and empower young adults to reach out to a friend who may be struggling with their mental health. Campaign assets drive to SeizeTheAwkward.org provides resources such as tutorial videos, information on warning signs, conversation starters, tips on how to sustain a conversation around mental health. More information is available at SeizeTheAwkward.org. Let's talk about uh, resolutions. And I know that we can all go to your website because, believe me, I was digging all over that sucker. It's beautifully laid out, easy to use, just perfect. But let's talk about how we as, as, as individuals, as, as a, a mother, as a, a grandmother, as a dad, as an uncle, as a brother, as a cousin, as a friend, what can we do to help reduce the risks to our loved ones? Yeah, that's, I'm really glad you asked that question because, look, I mean, we can throw a lot of laws at these problems, and we certainly have put some on the books. We, we can enforce the laws, and I think, again, that's the first step. Um, but we can't confine this conversation to the state capitol. It, it's one, as you, as you suggested, uh, touches every family. Uh, so I think part of this is around empathy. Uh, we can't legislate that, mm-hmm. uh, but you can make sure that when a loved one is expressing concerns or seems to have undergone a dramatic change in his or her behavior, sleeping or eating or the like, uh, that you're sensitive to that, that you listen without judgment, that you... Make sure you, people know that you're here for them and, and, and turn to, to help. There is some good news here. Um, unfortunately, it's born of tragedy. After the Aurora Theater shooting, the state set up a statewide crisis and counseling system. Colorado Crisis Services includes oh. both a network of walk-in clinics and mobile response units um, and a 24-7 call line. And one thing you could do... Um, all of us could do is commit this number to memory. Uh, it's 844-493, 844-493-TALK, or 8255. We put up a link on our website, again, on the Need Help tab at mentalhealthcolorado.org. Um, if you call that number, and you can for free, any time of day, any day of the week, anywhere in Colorado, what you'll find at the other end of the line are two groups of people. One is a group of mental health professionals, people who are available to counsel you 
um, on the phone for free, confidentially. The other is a group of peer specialists. Those are folks who themselves have experienced a mental health or substance use disorder, and they're also available uh, for counseling to, uh, for free. Um, if you don't want to call, you can text. I know a lot of kids would rather text than talk. If you text the word TALK to 38255, that's 38255, you can have the same conversation via text with a mental health professional or a peer specialist. I think everybody ought to know this number. In fact, we're working to get it down to three digits because we want this crisis and counseling service to be just as well-known as 911. Uh, so we're working with the state to try to get April 4, 493-8255 reduced to, to just three digits. But in the meantime, I want people to know that they can call this number whether they're in crisis, whether they're concerned about a condition that they don't want to become a crisis, or whether they're worried about a loved one. It's part of a group called Colorado Crisis Services. Mm -hmm. It's operated by an organization called Rocky Mountain Crisis Partners, but it's not just for people in crisis. It's for anyone. And they handle about 160,000 calls a year. So obviously some people in Colorado know of this service, but not enough. Is there any good news on this front? Are, are we making any headway? Are we making any progress? Yes, we're, we're making some progress. I think we are making a bit of a dent in the stigma that still stops people from getting help. Uh, we've certainly done a good job, a better job, at least on the crisis response system. Um, I think where the challenge lies is in prevention and early intervention. The more you learn about mental illness, the earlier you really need to start. Um, so we put up uh, on our website, mentalhealthcolorado.org slash school toolkit, a series of suggestions for schools and families to pursue to improve the mental wellness of kids. As I mentioned earlier, the first signs of mental illness typically appear during adolescence, in half the cases, in fact, by the age of 14. We also know that kids are a fairly captive audience, not entirely, but fairly captive at schools. But most schools aren't giving teachers or other school staff the training they need to spot some of these early warning signs. We're not telling teachers they need to start diagnosing or treating mental illness. That's not their job. Mm -hmm. um, but we do believe, and the evidence shows, it would be useful for uh, all the folks at school and at home to recognize some of these symptoms so that kids can get the help they need before it's too late. You probably saw the story, tragic story, in Denver just last month of a nine-year-old. Mm -hmm who died by suicide, um, just heartbreaking. Um, and the only good news here is that if schools actually put in place the sorts of resources they need, that means getting more mental health professionals in schools, engaging families and parents in this conversation, that's absolutely critical, getting training uh, so that folks can spot some of these early warning signs, uh, we can make a difference. The evidence shows, in fact, that kids who get the benefit of social and emotional learning, kids who get access to mental health care, are far more likely to stay in school and to graduate and to do well in school and beyond, and far less likely to drop out or be suspended or expelled. So I think schools are increasingly recognizing the importance of these investments, and voters are too, in Colorado Springs, in Estes Park and in Uray, just to take three examples, we saw voters approve measures just last year uh, to invest in school-based mental health services. Um, there are similar propositions on the ballot this year, 
in Denver County, Larimer County, San Miguel, and Summit Counties on the Western Slope. Uh, so we know that people are attuned to this issue. They recognize too often what can happen, as my own family saw, when a mental illness goes untreated. And they know, we all know now, that it is much, much cheaper and smarter and more effective to prevent or to treat mental illness than to ignore it or to criminalize it. Okay. Was there anything that you wanted to add or, or any events that you have coming up or any, any pushes at all? Is there anything that you'd like to share with our audience? There, there, there are some success stories that we want to celebrate. In fact, we hold an annual gala. It's coming up on September 22nd in which we're paying tribute to people who are making a difference in mental health care. People can join this event or learn the details and participate in the silent auction, even if you can't make the event, by going to mentalhealthcolorado.org slash tribute 2018. It's the Tribute Gala. There's one other thing people can do, and I hope they will. Um, they can become champions. They can make it clear that mental health matters to them. They can stand up and speak out on behalf of this cause by joining a network of advocates that we are building across the state. We call it the brainwave. What we're after is to find an ally in every community who will buttonhole a state legislator or a school board member, a city council member, a county commissioner, or any other decision maker who's in the business of shaping mental health policy and say, yeah, this matters to me and to my family, and here's why. So you can join this network of advocates by going to mentalhealthcolorado.org slash brainwave. All righty. Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. I I know that this issue is is touching the lives of multiple people, and and after speaking with you, I honestly feel like maybe there's hope that we could possibly reduce these risks. Thanks, Maria. Thanks a lot. That does it for our show this week. Richard Robertson is our show producer. I'm Maria Oliver. And this is Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.